morning, everyone. Hey, my name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Four Corners, and this is Ben, who is the lead pastor. He's also my brother, and unfortunately, God did not give him the looks, and so <laughs> you'd pray <laughs> and with it him and for it him begins. about that. That would be terrific. <laughs> hey, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series uh, called Misfortune Cookies, and we've been looking at, over the past three weeks, three things that are kind of Wisdom sayings or things you might hear from the world or from your friends who aren't all that close to Jesus. Maybe you hear them on TV or in movies. And this week we want to look at one more of those. And this one you may not have heard before in terms of maybe you haven't heard it verbally. But you've probably experienced this maybe in your own life. And so the misfortune for this week is I really don't have time to read the Bible. And so what Ben and I want to do over the next 35 minutes or so is we want to do all we can to beg and to plead, to encourage, to inspire, whatever it takes. We want you to leave this room today ready to commit to reading the Bible on a regular basis because we feel like you as individuals and Ben and I as individuals and this church as a corporate body have a lot more things that God wants to do with us and through us and in us. And we will limit that future potential if we don't commit ourselves to regular Bible study. And so today, you're going to leave here with us asking you to commit to a challenge to reading your Bible a lot more often. Like I said, Ben and I are brothers, and so we went to the same high school together. He was actually out just about the time I rolled in because he's a little older than me. You could probably tell from the looks of things up here. (laughs) And although we're a lot alike, we're... Very different as well. Ben was a good student. He made all A's. I remember one time he brought home a B, and he was depressed for like an entire year. I, on the other hand, am not such a good student. At least I wasn't then. Uh, I was more kind of the B, C, rolling in the D every now and then, just trying my best to get through the classes. Well, in 10th grade, I had a class uh, that a lot of you took in high school called chemistry, and it was killing me. Here's what sunk about chemistry. One is it's really hard. Two is Ben had been in the class prior to me, and he was like the teacher's pet. The, the teacher from four years earlier still remembered Ben's name. Do you remember who the chemistry teacher was? It was Mr. Hickson, and he's a great man, one of my favorite teachers. And he let me uh, work in the lab, and I was a geek, president of the Math and Science you Club. Were. And he was the sponsor, and uh, yeah, I, I loved that class. I fun. can't stand him, Mr. Hickson. <laughs> <laughs> so, like a lot of classes that I had in high school... I wasn't doing so well because I like to talk a lot. And I remember one day in particular, it was about two weeks before the end of the first semester, I was sitting by my best buddy at the time whose name was Michael Frenitza, and Michael and I like to talk a lot together. And uh, we thought it would be really cool if we would take our 7-millimeter mechanical pencil that we had and take it apart and stick metal pieces into the little outlet where you stick your Bunsen burner while the teacher was talking. And so we were accomplishing this plan together. And so it was about 10 minutes into class, and I stuck a little piece of the pencil into the outlet, and it blew up, kind of sparked out of everywhere. Very smart of you. Yeah, and and this day sticks in my mind for two reasons. One, I almost died. (laughs) And two, Mr. Hickson, who was a pretty mild-mannered science geek. I mean, he didn't get all that upset that often. But this day what he did was he had this little podium that sat on the table where he taught, And it was like a portable podium. It was about this tall, and he could put his little nose on there. He grabs the podium and picks it up and throws it across the entire room, right across our heads. 
First on the back wall and blows up. That was back in the day when school was school. It was. I mean, if you were really bad, teachers would spank you, and uh, they'd yell at you. You know, if there was a fight, teacher might throw a punch. It was oh, yeah. good school. Yeah. It was you, good you school. You get spanked and everything. It was yeah. terrific. <laughs> and I remember clearly the conversation I had with Mr. Hickson after class. He called Michael and I to the front, told us we need to wait in the hallway until the class was over, and he'd see us then. Some of you have been there. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't remember exactly the verbatim words he said, but basically here's what he said to Michael and I. If you don't stop talking and start listening to what I'm talking about, you're never going to pass this class, and you've got to have this class to pass high school. And so it was kind of a wake-up call for me because I'd never had anything thrown at me in school before. And for whatever (laughs) reason, those words were shocking to me, and I realized I probably do talk too much and I need to start paying a little bit more attention. Well, as Ben and I got together this week and we're thinking about how we want to communicate this message about reading God's Word, that story came back to my mind because I wonder if sometimes God doesn't think the same thing about us. Sometimes He doesn't look at us and wonder why we don't listen to Him more. Why it is that we're constantly busy and talking and doing life, so much so that we exclude His voice from the conversation. And what we want to do to you today is challenge you to put yourself in a position to hear from God. And the best way to do that is to find yourself a commitment to reading the Bible on a regular basis. And so again, today, we're going to challenge you with that. And we're going to do it in a kind of begging, pleading sort of way. We're just going to share with you some of the things that we do in our private devotional time, some of the experiences from our past, the way our parents raised us. We're going to call out to you parents to do more than you've currently are doing to invest in the lives of your kids. And again, we're all going to leave here, Ben and I included, with a commitment to do just a little bit more so that God can live out through us and in us all that he wants to do. Greg, there are two reasons I'm really excited about this. One has to do with parenting. I'm a dad. I got four kids. And I'm on a dad kick these days. I I really feel like God pressing into me about being a great husband and a great father. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, honestly, is just for me. But beyond that, I'm a pastor. I mean, those are the two things I want to be great at in life. I want to be a good family guy, and I want to be a good pastor. I, I, can, I think I can lose at anything else, but if God will help me there, I think I'll, I'll be fine with myself. I'll, I'll feel good about it. And so I'm excited not only as a dad today to talk about this to other dads and moms. I'm excited as a pastor because here's what I know. I know that if you will take God's word seriously and put it in your heart, consume your life with the truth from God's word, It will change you. It it will change everything about the way you live life. It will literally speak against the lies of this world. So here's what I know about this world. I know that all around you, lies are spoken to you all the time. They're spoken to my kids. They're spoken to our church. Lies that say things like this, for instance, in the life of my kids. Uh, Your value as a person is determined by who likes you. Your value as a person is determined by what kind of clothes you wear, whose name is on your underwear, where you live, what you do. Your value as a person is determined by all other kinds of things. And then there's God's word that stands in stark contrast. It says, no, your value is determined because you're made in the image of God. And God loves you. And God sees you as somebody worthwhile. Before you were ever born... The Bible says before you were ever a thought, God ordained before the creation of time that he would give his life for you. And while he was making you in your mother's womb, the Bible says, he knit you together for his purposes. So there's the lies of this world and the reality of God's truth. I want, for instance, for my kids to have the truth of God's word speak louder. 
I want for you as our congregation, the people that God's given me the ability to speak to on occasion, at least when you come, to know the truth of his life, to speak louder than the lies of this world that would say to you that your value and worth is based on everything else other than who God says you are. And to get you so consumed with your mistakes and your failures and what you haven't done and what's been done to you and rather than what he says about you. But in order for us to get there, for those truths to speak louder, we've got to get this material inside of you. Now, you know how this works in the life of kids, right? Parents, on occasion, start talking to them about what's important. Take, take the average teenager. And we try to tell them about the importance of school or the importance of good friends or doing a good job. And they get it. They, they, they're smart. They get that. But a lot of times they don't live that because they're adolescents, because that's what happens. But parents come alongside and help them to do for themselves maybe what they wouldn't choose to do on their own. I mean, my kids, I don't know about yours, maybe mine are, are not as good as yours, but my kids wouldn't do all the things that they're supposed to do if Jill and I weren't leaning in on them in healthy ways pretty regularly, and sometimes in aggressive ways pretty regularly. Now, they would do what kids do, whatever they want in the moment, without any foresight. You know what happens as adults, too? Because of the, the frustration of life and the busyness of life and all the craziness of all that happens to us, sometimes we'll just go along our spiritual development and not really press in and cooperate. Well, today is a call to wake up to that and to engage this thing, this gift from God, His Word. One more thing, and then I want you to tell folks about what you know, we experienced as kids. That I think really we didn't realize at the time how special it was. But let me, let me make this clear to you, that unless you lived and walked with, the days of, with Jesus in the days that He lived and walked, the clearest representation of God you're ever going to get is in the pages of the Bible. And unless you lived with Jesus 2,000 years ago, where when you looked at him, you saw God. When you heard him, you heard God speak. When he said things, it was God talking to you. Unless you had that experience, the clearest revelation of God you're ever going to get in this life is found in the pages of the Bible. In the pages of the Bible, you get to learn the character of God. You get to hear his thoughts. You get to learn what he's like and how he's acts and how you can trust him. And now, you can rely on that, or you can rely on whether or not he speaks through the thunder for you, or whether or not the stars shoot at just the right moment and indicate to you that, you know, you should choose plan A or plan B, or whether or not the parking spot you're praying for on the way to, you can depend on all other kinds, or some internal sense of, yeah, that seems right. When all along God's given us an amazing gift so that we can know his heart and know his will, receive his wisdom and be changed by it. We want that for you. Talk a little bit about why this became important for us. Yeah, Ben and I were, I guess, lucky uh, or blessed if you come from a tradition of kind of knowing some of the insider language of Christianity. But we were raised in a home where our parents were radically saved or transformed. They went from one lifestyle to another on the night that they decided they wanted to commit their lives to Jesus. They were about 35 years old. Yeah, I was maybe one and a half years old or so the night my dad uh, came to know Jesus at a southern gospel singing in the heart of Chicago, which is funny enough. Ironic on a lot of levels. And uh, he gave his life to Jesus. And the night he gave his life to Jesus, do you remember what he was told by the pastor who met yeah. him in the lobby afterwards? <laughs> this pastor is a genius. He was also a liar. Here's what this pastor said. <laughs> it's a good lie, friend. The pastor looked at my dad and said, I know you're all excited about this new life with Jesus. And what you should know is that every person who becomes a Christian, catch, catch this lie, every person that becomes a Christian reads their Bible, prays, and gives regularly of their income. They read their Bible every day, they pray every day, and they give regularly of their income. Now, he just flat out lied to my dad. But my dad was a sucker, and he believed it, took it hook, line, and sinker, and began to do it. 
He began to read his Bible every day. He'd never prayed in his life, never had a discipline of reading the Bible. And he began to give of his income. Those three disciplines changed the trajectory of my family. And it's changing their grandkids because of a simple commitment to those disciplines. And we're going to deal with the the Bible one today. Talk about how that worked out in our family life. Because this is going to seem foreign to so many people. Yeah, something that happened for us is, at the time didn't seem all that beneficial. Sometimes I actually even hated it. But every single morning from the time I was in kindergarten or first grade, right, right during the middle of my kindergarten year, up until the time I was about to finish sixth grade, uh, my mom, after my dad had gone to work, would open this Bible, this, this exact very Bible, and read it to me and my sister and Ben and my oldest sister. So all four of us would sit down, and she would read us these stories. And it happened every day unless someone was sick or in the hospital or there was some kind of uh, chaos, epidemic or chaos. I bet over the course of those five or six years, I've heard these Bible stories 25 to 30 times at least. And it's nothing special about this Bible. It's just a, a kid's Bible, a children's Bible. It just tells the stories of the major characters. has all the major stories of all the characters. And Layden, Ben and I and our sisters, a foundation of knowing some of the content of the Bible. And more importantly than that, the way that God interacted with humans and brought them out of tough situations and helped them through other ones. Then on top of that... But before you get there, as you just said, I didn't even think about this first service, but there's, there's one story in particular that really got me. I'll never forget it. And, and I remember the picture in that Bible. It's the story of, of uh, Samuel. Samuel was a little boy, and the fact that he was a little boy, I think, connected with me. And Samuel heard God speak to him, but he didn't know if it was God or not. He didn't, couldn't figure out if it was just his head or if it was God. And so um, at, by the end of the story, though, he realizes God was speaking to him and that God had spoken over him that he's going to do something great in Samuel's life and that Samuel would have a major role to play in God's kingdom. I remember hearing that story as a kid and thinking, man, that would be awesome. And, and that story, for me, sets me up to receive. I hear the stories of the great things in the Bible and it sets me up to realize that God can use me, even as a little kid. And uh, it got in me. I mean, just it got in me. Yeah. I remember when the story of Samson got in you, too, and all the, the fights that we had over that. <laughs> I was God's mighty man of faith and power. You were God's mighty man I was going to take you down, you Philistine. So. <laughs> and only three people know that I'm a Philistine in this world. Ben, my mom, my wife, and so whatever. I can't believe I just said that. I can't either. It's nowhere on the nose. We didn't script that. No, all. no. On top of that... Uh, on top of the stories from the children's Bible, at night, every Monday through Saturday night, so we got one night a week off, my dad would sit us all down, and this happened from the time I can remember up until almost I was in college. My dad sat us down uh, right about the time all the good shows came on TV. Oh, yeah. Made all us, the good shows. Made us go turn off the TV back in the day when you actually had to go push the button in. And we had no VCR because, you know, we were the last folks on the block to get a dishwasher, a microwave, and a VCR. It was just right. the way it worked. So. And uh, he just read to us from... The New Testament, we would read from Matthew all the way to Jude, starting with chapter 1 of Matthew to the very uh, end of Jude, the last words in Jude. We always skipped Revelation because it would freak us out and we wouldn't be able to sleep. Yeah. So, <laughs> we did it like one time through and dad was out of that. Yeah, he needed to get like some sleep Too much work, too much work. But we, he just read us the Bible. Sometimes he'd let us read along. He yeah. read the King James Version, which honestly, half of it we didn't even understand. We memorized verses together as a family, and it just was our thing. And honestly, at the time, probably more times than not, I couldn't stand it. I sat there because I had to. There was great punishment to be paid if we didn't pay attention. But looking back, I have 
just a thankfulness of the foundation that was laid in my life and the stories that I'm able to recall and the memory verses that come up at the right time in life for me because of the faithfulness of a mother and father who didn't know anything better to do than read the Bible to their kids. Yeah, I remember those, those passages. Every Friday there was a new verse. And about once a month we'd rehearse. And so somewhere in Dad's big blue Thompson Chain Reference Bible, there is a, uh, a list, a piece of paper that was our piece of paper, and it's front and back covered with passages. Now, not the words, just the little references, and it's like three columns on each, and there was a day when you and I could hit about 80% of those. Now, that doesn't make us special. That doesn't even make us spiritual. What that did, though, when my parents understood, even if they didn't understand it, they just took the lie of this pastor and did it, that every Christian does these things, it got it in us. It got those words in us. And um, I can't tell you the number of times I go back to that and let the truth of God's word speak, uh, word speak louder than the lies around me, than the challenges around me. And it changes me in the middle of those circumstances. Yeah, um, I remember one time in particular in my life where I was probably more grateful than any other time. And I, I'm going to cry when I tell this story. I always do. I can't help it. So you jump in when I start bawling. All right. But... Uh, it's about my kids. I have a son, Preston, who is my, my second son. He's my middle kid, and uh, he's seven years old now. He's perfectly healthy now, but he was born four weeks early, and um, everything was supposed to be fine when, when he was born. I can't even just tell the beginning of it, and um, it turns out it wasn't, and I remember a few minutes after he was born, it was chaotic. Unlike my first son, where everything went really well, it was obvious to Amy and I that something wasn't right because the doctors didn't want us to see the baby, and there were a lot more doctors and nurses in the room than there had been on the first birth of our first son. And uh, it was obvious to me that things weren't going well. And as time uh, passed, it became clear that he had some underdeveloped lungs and he was going to be in the hospital. And it was touch and go. Yeah. It, it, was, uh, it took you know, weeks in the hospital at, at Children's. And honestly, there were times we weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, you, you start hearing the odds, and you hear it in their voices. Like, it's likely, it, everything looks good, but, you know, and, yeah. and you get the sense that this is serious. You know, I, rem- I remember um, just a few minutes into the chaos, um, Amy's mom was there. My wife's mom was there, my mother-in-law. And I remember um, a passage that just came to my mind. I must have thought through this uh, Bible verse that we had memorized as kids. I must, must have run through my mind a thousand times that night. I'll put you on the spot, see if Dad needs to spank you or not. <laughs> it was Romans 8.28. You remember what that I one is? I do. Um, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that was one of the promises of God, that we would speak over each other. That if you walk with God, it's not that everything goes well for you, but that God will work the good in your life, and even you can, in the bad. Yeah, and you can trust His plan. And for me... Just having that verse in my mind somewhere back in the back, and I hadn't pulled it up probably in years prior to that. It was just a source of comfort. It, was, it gave me a sense of God's presence there with me, uh, in, almost in a tangible way. And Ben and I want that kind of experience for you. And we know that you won't have those kinds of experiences of God's Word active in your life if you're not a regular Bible reader. And so that's why we're up here today, to encourage you to let God be more active in your life than you ever thought he could be by committing yourself to a regular time of reading the Bible. I know you've had times in your life and there are special verses as well to you. Yeah, um, this might sound odd to you, but um, I struggle with fear. I'm not afraid of you. I'll, you know, I'm not afraid of the dark. 
But the dreams and the hopes and the ambitions God's put in my heart for the role I can play in his kingdom and for what he's going to do through me and through my family is big. It's bigger than me. And sometimes it's a little uh, terrifying is too strong, but I'll, I'll have anxiety. I'll struggle. Um, I'm afraid whether or not I'm going to get up here and make a fool of myself. And so there are verses. There are my go-to verses about life and when I'm facing challenges that are um, bigger than me, uh, and they often are. And a lot of times, like before service, I'll go stand back in this little room over here, and I'm going through a little bit of a ritual um, where I'm just speaking the content of the scripture that I've gotten into my life over the years over me. And I thought maybe you'd find it a little meaningful and helpful for me to just do some of this for you. Uh, Like, Greg, these things move me to tears because they are such a part of my heritage, and they're such a part of the truth that I hold to in my relationship with God. So I didn't want to miss some, so I wrote some, some stuff down. So um, here, here's what I, I want to remember about what God says about me, that my feet are prepared for the preparation of the gospel. And the scripture says that the one who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. And then I say to myself, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And though I walk through the flames, I won't be burned. And if I walk through the flood, I'll overcome because you're with me. And from my heart flows the issues of life, and you've turned my heart soft towards you. And as the rains fall from heaven and the water to the earth, so shall your word be that proceeds from your mouth. And it will not return void to you, but it will accomplish everything you mean for it to accomplish. When I speak your word, you'll do your work. I thank you. You give me eyes to see, not just what I see, but eyes to see what you want me to see. You've given me ears to hear. And I hear your voice, Lord. And the voice of a stranger I will not listen to. And I'll have the mind of Christ. And your ways are higher than mine. And your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I'll lift my eyes up to the hills because my help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And I declare that you lift the burden from my shoulders. And you freed my hands from the weight of the work. And I clap my hands to you, Lord. You've trained my hands for battle, and I can be strong in you. And my prayers come up before you like an incense, like an offering. And I spread out my arms before you, and you fill me up. And yeah, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you're going to supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. And don't ever let the law of your word depart from my mouth. Help me to meditate on it day and night so that I may not sin against you. And I preach God's word to myself like that. And I remember that God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And God's word washes over me. It's not magic. It's just his wisdom. It's his character being revealed in the pages of his word. And I have verses I go to about my marriage and about my parenting and about this church and about my interactions with people that obviously don't like me and people who have done me wrong and harsh things that I have a hard time getting over, um, verses I go to when I'm trying to make sure I guard my tongue and don't speak, you know, death, but I speak life and I speak words of encouragement. When I was a teenager, I memorized all the verses, and I'll throw this out to some of you men. I made a covenant with my eyes, like Job, as he said in the book of Job, I make a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. And uh, the words of God begin to recorrect and recalibrate my life. And, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a sad little secret in the Christian church. The Barna Group, which is kind of a research institution, 
did a survey back in 2004, so it's a little dated. Unfortunately, I, I'm afraid the numbers might have even gone down from here, but here's what they found out. Of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who have an active relationship with Jesus, only 44% of them said they spend at least some time once a week reading the Bible outside of a Sunday morning when they're in church. So if you look beside of you to the right and to the left, one of those people aren't going to read their Bible this week. That's the stats. And in a church like ours, it's probably even lower than that because we tend to attract people who haven't been to church in a while. A lot of you never really had a church home before this one because of the type of music we play and kind of the general format we do. And so what we know as pastors is there's just probably not a lot of Bible reading going on. And we're keenly aware that we're limiting what this church can do and what God can do through us because of that fact. And again, that's why we're sitting up here today. It's even worse than it is uh, for men than it is for women. And we have kind of a high male population at this church compared to most churches across the U.S. But the same survey found out that 49% of women read their Bible once through the week, those women who call themselves followers of Jesus, and only 38% of men. And we know that as we encourage you men to step up and be spiritual leaders in your house and be all that God would have you be, that you can't do that unless you're a regular reader of God's Word and you let Him have a voice in your life when you're going through financial struggles and when you're going through marriage struggles and when your kids make you want to pull your hair out and when your mom and dad are sick and dying. We know you don't have that foundation and we want you to. And we can't in 51 or 52 Sundays a year, if you happen to be one of the few who actually attend every week, even in those 52 occurrences, we can't lay all the foundation you need laid quickly enough to be able to navigate life's path the way God would have you do it so that you can live a victorious life and realize the real presence of God in your life. And so we're calling this church to reading their Bibles, and we want you to be on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, let's drill down on two things that Greg said. Let's talk about this idea of not really engaging it all week long and then coming in here. Let me just give you a metaphor for that. That's like starving your physical body all week and then in one hour a week trying to give it all the nourishment it needs. Now, the nourishment you get is refreshing because you're hungry. It feels good because you're starving. And it might taste wonderful. But it's not going to sustain over time. It's not going to sustain. And so the metaphor plays out like this, that if you don't feed yourself some from God's word, I just feel like I need to say this real quick. This is not guilt, by the way. If you're hearing right now that there's some guilt or condemnation because you're not checking a box and you're reading your Bible, that's the lie of the enemy, and that needs to be pushed out of your brain. See, this is a gift from God for your good. He loves you. He left you his word so you can know his wisdom and his heart. And the enemy wants to take the fact that maybe you don't measure up here and beat you with that. And God wants to say, no, 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 no. Just receive my gift. So if you go all week and you're not feeding yourself and you come in here, it can't fully sustain. So some people come in and they're famished. They come in and they're all excited for a while. But then they realize over time, well, there's no real lasting change. I even hear people say, people I know, so I'm not talking like everybody makes this comment, but people I know and know their lives and have conversations, and they'll say, well, I'm just not getting fed. And yet I know that every Sunday morning when people come in here, we're going to give them God's word. We don't hear this a lot around here. But then in that particular case, I'll often know that that person's not doing anything to feed themselves. And what I know is, is that they're not getting the nourishment they need. If this is the only place in your life where you're engaging God's word, it's not enough for you. 
the world is wired in such a way that it's not going to call out in you God's character or his truth or his wisdom. It's not going to. And so what we have to do is we have to set aside the time. Now, the second thing I want to drill down on, and this is a passion of mine. I just want to talk to you men for a minute. So I think I know you. I think you want the people in your life to think well of you. That's a good desire. I think men that most of us want to be the leader that God calls us to be in our home and to become the man of God. That's the Bible language. Those are good desires. But here's what happens. Busyness, lack of discipline, um, sin, sometimes blatant sin and the guilt of that that keeps us from fully engaging, like an embarrassment that makes men want to pull away. Those things will keep you from engaging God's word. And when you do that, you're not making that investment in yourself. Now, just think about this contrast for a minute. We want our wives to think that we're good and respectable and honorable, and they they know we're not perfect, and that's not what we want. We just want them to believe that we can hear from God and lead and have an authoritative voice in our families. And yet we don't make an investment to become that kind of person. Well, that's inconsistent. And so often we'll argue and say, why don't you? And, you know, I sense that maybe you don't let me lead, and it's always difficult. But then they've never seen in us a real leading of ourselves let alone an encouragement that we sit down together and do the thing? Well, it's an inconsistent message. I'm telling you, man, here's the way you do this. Just listen to me. This is not just my wisdom. I've seen it a thousand times. The men I go to to be the spiritual influence in my life, they do this consistently. They have a personal discipline. Some of them get up early. Some of them stay up late. Most of them turn off the remote of the TV and they get up out of their lazy boy and sit themselves down somewhere to open up God's word with regularity. Most of the men I go to for wisdom and discernment do it every day. And what happens in them over time is as God's truth begins to work in their lives and God's wisdom takes root and it begins to grow like a flywheel. You know this mechanical idea. It takes a while to get it rolling, but over time it begins to spin and what it produces in them is a godliness, a character. And the people around them begin to see the thing. And where there was always a quick angry word, now there might still be some anger, but it's judged through a righteous grid, and it's tempered. And where there might be a go for the pleasure in the moment, now there's a delay in asking what's really pleasurable over time. And it changes everything. And here's, here's, the, here's the miraculous thing that happens. Your children and your wife begin to see you differently. And you no longer have to flex control because now you have moral authority in their life. And it changes Everything. Everything. Listen to me, man. I'm not trying to beat you up. I want this for you. I want a church full of men who are pressing into their own development and say no to the lies of our culture. Everything in this world is designed to keep you from pressing into God. And you and I need to fight against that. Your friends that you hang out with aren't going to encourage this with you unless they're on the same journey. That's why you got to be involved in a community of faith. People are saying, no, God's called us to more, and his truth is more important, and it's overarching over every other reality. And you're not going to watch TV, even Christian programming, and be called to become the man of God in your home. More than you providing for your family physical needs, they need for you to hold the standard for them about what God wants to have happen in their lives. It's the most important role you'll ever play. And I'm just angry that the world has been so effective in distracting us. And it's going to, on the practical side of things, it's going to take sacrifice. Uh, it's not easy. In the same Barna study that I quoted some stuff from earlier, 
they found out that the primary reason, like 70 to 80 percent, I don't remember the exact number, but of the people who were asked why they don't read the Bible through the week, the primary reason they said they don't read the Bible through the week is that they don't have time to read it. So what I found in my own life is I've got to make a sacrifice of something that I value a lot more than reading the Bible, <laughs> to be honest. So for me, it looks like sleep. I love sleep. I'd rather sleep almost than anything else. It's like number three on the list. I just love to sleep. I think I need like 12 hours a day of sleep. But what I do because of my hectic schedule at church where I have to be at work early and um, my hectic family schedule because I have three little kids who are involved in a lot of things like dance and football and basketball and baseball and all kinds of alls, <laughs> I got to sacrifice the thing I covet almost the most in this world, which is sleep. So I usually just stay up late and try to read. And I'm not perfect. I definitely don't do it every day. And luckily, I have the foundation I have and the parents that I had, and I can maybe scoop by in a little bit more than what I should even do to be healthy. But for me, I know it's a sacrifice, and I've got to give up something I really value. And I think that's what you're going to have to do as well. This won't come easy. It won't be something you're naturally going to want to do. You're not going to wake up in the morning, most mornings, and be eager to get that Bible open and wait on the Xbox and wait on the uh, uh, Today's Show and wait on the exercise or wait on the breakfast or whatever your format is that you decide you want to do it in. That's not going to be exciting to you most likely, at least not every morning. But you're still just going to have to do it if you want to be able to live in the life and the pattern that God wants you to live in. Yeah. So let me give you one more perspective. <clears throat> See, we want this for you as individuals and families and singles. You, know, you want to know how to survive single without losing your mind? Fall in love with Jesus again and get to know his word. Become who he's making you to be. But here's, here's the other perspective. See, we need a church full of these people knowing that it's never going to be all of us. Our church attracts a lot of people that don't have a background, that didn't have the, the training that Greg and I were forced into, that we resisted, but our parents were smart and didn't give in to the whines of their adolescent boys. And so they trained us this way. And a lot of you never had that. And a lot of folks that are going to come in our doors aren't going to have that. So we need a group of people that come in nourished and well-fed so that we can care for those that aren't. We believe God is sending us a harvest of people. We think it's just around the corner. And if that's true, then our best preparation is to be the people God has called us to be. We're not perfect. That's not what this is about. We're not checking a list off of a to-do list. You know, we're not putting a check on that box. It's about getting the character of God fully infused in us and letting it speak louder than any other force in our life. And if we, a group of us, 50, 60, 100 families will do that, we'll be ready. But if my, like, spiritual radar is right right now, we're not quite there. We have men who want this. We have women who want this, but they're not doing the work to get there. And we just want you to look yourself in the mirror of God's grace and say, God, what would you have me do? So, with that said, before Greg goes to the next points, how many of you have seen Joel Osteen on TV? You seen him? Yeah, okay. He's a lot the guy of, that smiles a the, lot. The smiling guy from right. Texas, that's right. He's like 60, but he looks 30. That's, that's, uh, yeah. that's Joel Osteen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how old he is. But anyway, I think he's 40. Yeah, a lot of people don't particularly like him, but there's one thing he does that's phenomenally good theology. So if you ever get a chance to watch Joel Osteen on TV, maybe you go there, but he'll start his messages every day. He'll say, take your Bible, hold it up. And then he starts this little mantra. He says with a big smile, this is my Bible. And I'll just do it in my voice. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. And then he says, and everybody repeats it, today I will be taught the word of God. That's good. 
And I declare my mind is alert. I'm coming ready. I declare my heart is receptive. And then he says the powerful phrase, and I will never be the same. Never, never, never. Never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Y'all sound good. That's kind of how he ends it. Every, every, but the theology there is powerful. It's powerful theology. And so when you come to church or when you open God's word at home, having your mind alert and your heart receptive to God to speak, it'll change everything for you. It really will. Yeah, so on your seat when you came in, there was a card that looked like this. Go ahead and pull this out if you would. This is a Connect card. If you've been around for a while, you know the drill. So right now, if you would, just everyone, whether it's your first time or you've been here for six years with us, just go ahead and fill out the front side of the card uh, with your name and at least your email address. And if it's your first or second time with us, make sure you mark that box. If you do that, we're going to send you a little gift in the mail that you're going to like um, a lot. If you're a first-time guest, we're going to send you some free food for Chick-fil-A, Woo. which everyone loves. Yeah, yeah, that's a God thing. <laughs> and once you get the front side filled out, uh, if you would, I want you to turn it over to the back side. And Ben and I just want to throw out a big old church-wide challenge to read our Bibles more together. There's a, one of these I'm going to tell you about that I'm going to take because I haven't done a good job at all with this one, and I'm recommitting today to do it. And I know Ben's got one of his own he's going to take, but... I just want you to consider taking a bold step. So here's what we do with this card. There's two things that happen once you fill out this card. You're going to turn it into the offering bucket when it comes around to the end of the service. And we're going to get these cards on Tuesday morning as a staff. We're just going to pray for you, which is it's just a beautiful thing. It's like the highlight of our week to be able to pray for you. And anything going on in your life that you want us to pray about, if you write it on this card, we'll pray in detail about that. But the really neat thing about this card is every Sunday we ask you to leave here with an action plan. And this card is how you do it. So what happens is you're going to turn the card over to the back now, and I'm going to read to you four options about some next bold steps that you can take this week. Some ways that you can leave here and put into action whatever it is you feel like God's working on your heart about. If you're a follower of Jesus, I really want you to consider marking one of these boxes. Even if you don't usually, usually you know your wife fills it out for you and you don't ever commit to anything, grab your own card this week, fill it out, men, and consider doing one of these if you're not following Jesus and you're just here visiting or trying to figure your life out, you might want to consider doing one as well. Great people throughout history, whether they follow Jesus or not, have been Bible readers because there's just some good stuff in there. So here are the four bold steps to consider taking. Consider marking one of these. Here's the first one. The first one says, this week I will start a 30-day, everyday Bible reading plan. If, if you'll mark that box on Tuesday... Ben and I are going to send you an email as long as your email address is on the front. There's going to be four options for a 30-day Bible reading plan. I think one of them is learn the major characters of the Bible in 30 days. General life of Jesus. General life of Jesus in 30 like, days. Like major theologically important passages right. kind of taking you through the gospel. So there'll be four options. You pick whichever one you want to do and set aside about 15 minutes a day, whatever schedule works best for you, and uh, just make it happen. Some of you just need to get in the practice of making this part of your daily life. And if you do it for about 30 days... I think, bet you'll be more likely to continue it after that. Yeah. Here's the second one. Maybe this is you, and this is what I need to do. Maybe you need to start a family devotion time where you sit down with your kids and you read uh, them the Bible. And if they're younger kids, if you'll mark this box, we'll send you some information about maybe a Bible you might want to consider buying on Amazon or something like that. Uh, just a kid's Bible, something they can understand and begin to get in their mind and in their heart. The, the content of the Bible and how much God loves them 
by way of hearing about how he loved other people and how the stories in the Bible can also be real stories in their life. You know, it's powerful when a kid hears their parents read the scripture to them. Yeah. That's powerful. And if you don't have little kids, maybe this is still the one you need to do with your wife or your husband or whoever else is living in your house. Maybe you just need a regular family Bible devotion time. And uh, if you'll mark that box, we'll just send you some information about that. C is a good box for some of you, uh, possibly as well. This one's the one that says, I need a Bible I can understand, so please send me one. In the same Barna study, what they found out is in America in general, Christians and non-Christians, 98% of the people who live in this country have a Bible in their house. But the reality is, a lot of the Bibles we have, some of us can't understand. I think maybe the younger you are, the more foreign things like the King James Version might sound when you read it. Don't get stuck reading the Bible you can't understand. If you don't have a good one you can understand, let us send you a more modern version, one that will be in the language that you more talk on a regular basis. And we'll send you that for free if you'll mark this box. We'll be happy to do that. Yeah. And the next step, D, is one that I'm excited about. Um, I'm asking some of you, a lot of you in this room, to sign up to attend six weeks of the introduction to the Old Testament. It'll be on Wednesday nights here in this room, beginning right at 7 o'clock. Not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday to come. We'll start. And over the next 10 weeks, we'll do six weeks of it, allowing for holidays and that sort of thing. If you check this box, what I'm asking you to do is make a hardcore commitment to at least attend five of them. Here's the deal, friends. As a pastor, I've got a lot on my plate, but I'm committed to this. So if you guys want to show and learn and get oriented, I'll do it. I'll make time. If it falls off the radar and it's not that big of a deal, I can spend a much better amount of my time as a pastor doing something else that's more effective. So I'm offering this to you. And I'll do what I used to do. I used to teach high school and teach Bible. I think I see a couple of my old students in here today. And uh, I love this stuff. And you'll come with your notebook and your Bible and learn. And I'll get you some materials. And uh, you'll get oriented really quick. I'm really excited about this. So if you want to do it, check the box. You have to carve out some time and uh, we'll orient you. And if it goes really well, then we'll do some more as we move forward. Yeah. So let's pray and then we'll sing a song. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. God, I want to thank you for the gift of your word. I wish we could have walked with you. I wish we could have sat at your feet like the disciples and heard you teach, know that you were speaking the very words of God, but, well, we weren't there, but what you've done instead is you've left us your word so that we can know your heart, discover your wisdom, be changed by your truth. So God, speak today. Quiet the lines of our enemy that say we're too busy or it's too hard or I've tried this before I won't understand and God just help us to discipline ourselves to make time to do this thing not for a few days but become students of your word and God raise up this church to be the kind of church where people who are starving come in and get a meal served by people that are well nourished and healthy and balanced we pray it all in the powerful and holy name of Jesus the strong and mighty son of God Amen.